Gentlemen and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Picard, Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by the other members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow, Tyler Monaghan, and I will make it a threesome, (laughs) and the persistent, the resistant, Cicero Holmes. The Enterprise D, that's the ship that made the Borg Cube run in less than 12 parsecs. (laughs) (laughs) And returning to join us once again is the legendary Zaki Hassan. Zaki, welcome back. Hey, uh, what's going on here? What are are y'all doing here? What's going on here? Oh man, no, it's so we've got a full house. We've actually got an over full house for the first time in a really long time. Which everywhere, is, you- uh, oh, it's 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 great. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, but there's a good reason that we're all here, of course, and that is to discuss the not only the tenth episode of the third season, but the series finale of Star Trek Picard, conceivably a send off to the crew of star Trek, the next generation and um, kind of the end of an era when it comes to star Trek franchise storytelling. So um, before we actually dive into the episode, let's check in with the panel and Zachary, we got to start with you. How the hell are you? What have you been up to? What's your life and Trek been like and how have you enjoyed the season so far? Oh man. Well, I'll start with the the last one first. Holy crap. This this thing's amazing. (laughs) Uh, I, I should I should say you know I I had the opportunity I was you know Paramount sent me a link to the first six episodes uh, like a month before they dropped, but it was embargoed so I couldn't talk about it with anybody, and I was just losing my mind <laughs> it was I was like you guys don't know what is waiting for you just from the first six you know, and then you're like oh, but are they gonna shit the bed at the end and they they did not there was no bed shitting. Um, is just it was just I've said all along it was a gift, and I should I just want to share this one story. I when I was finally able to talk about it on online, I just that's exactly what I said. I said, "Oh, you guys have something amazing waiting for you," and I get a DM from Terry Metalis, and he's just like, "It's pretty good, huh?" Like he's like, <laughs> "I'm like, oh, dude." <laughs> so that was that's my fun little story about about uh, getting to watch people do it. <laughs> that's awesome. Nice. I mean, I don't think Terry Metalis has slid into any of our DMs, so uh, so we're we're the story time. Well, we are we're very pleased to have you back, especially to talk uh, this episode, which I think counts as a bit of a uh, a bit of a milestone. But um, let's continue on, Ty. Uh, you are conceivably going at a less frantic pace uh, in absorbing Deep Space Nine. I listened to last week's episode, even though Rachel and I couldn't uh, be a part of it. And I, it sounds like you, you guys let the foot off the gas and slowed down. 
um, but you're also in an extremely eventful moment for Deep Space Nine. How's that all coming yeah. together? What's the most recent episode you watched? Okay, so I thought we were letting our foot off the gas, but then I was taking, I was preparing uh, for this very question, and I realized, like, I don't think we've actually really taken our foot off the gas. So uh, <laughs> since last time we spoke, we've watched, uh, I didn't write down the episode names, but this very problematic episode where Odo uh, gets uh, dating advice from a hologram and then the hologram tricks Odo in, in like a very like, yeah, like a national lampoon type of like bad situation. Uh, so like, didn't, didn't like that, but uh <laughs> They have a way of like, I've really noticed on Deep Space Nine, uh, tacking on really like significant character or like plot arc developments onto episodes that feel like kind of like filler episodes. Like it felt like this silly, like, oh, Odo's getting hologram advice or, or dating advice from a hologram kind of episode. But then it ends with like a significant change in his relationship with Major Kira, which is just really interesting. So you can't really like write off even the episodes that seem silly um we also just watched one where like cork is like surgically altered to become a female ferengi you uh, about problematic okay you know, <laughs> yeah no i i have two sections on my notepad the first one is problematic and the second one is good so uh, was- <laughs> <laughs> nice. that was problematic um and so but speaking of good okay so uh we had like this episode called inquisition where like the section 31 like totally gaslights dr Bashir for like the whole entire episode um we had this episode uh i think this is like one that will really like get some nods is like in the pale moonlight with cisco uh like speaking directly into the camera and justifying um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some actions some things (laughs) can't live with it. He works. Actually. Yes. So the, what I'm actually most interested in, and and the thing I love about all these episodes that I have labeled as good is like, I don't think you could do these in the current format of like super serialized, like Mm. a season, like one season is one plot arc thing. And I get that. Like, that's fine. Right. There's trade-offs to that, but I just, you know, like I, these are some of the things I really love about Star Trek. And there's this, there's this wild episode where they like get stuck behind enemy lines in the defiant. And it's like Jake and Nog and they run into this like faux defiant. It's like the valiant and it's like run by these red squad kids who have been like, kind of like under their own authority, like commanding the ship for like months behind it. It is, it was just like totally wild. And then, <laughs> The, the thing about that episode is like everybody just blows up at the end. Like everybody yeah. involved <laughs> is like systematically picked off. And then at the end, like it's like Jake and uh, Nog are like in the hospital and they're like, that was, that was pretty messed up, huh? <laughs> That's part of the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek, like, yeah, this is what you get when you get 26 episodes in a season, you know? <laughs> like, you may looking have for been a good man. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you may have been a good man, but he was a bad captain. <laughs> I was like, is now really the time to try and, like, persuade her of this? She's still, like, recovering from her, like, concussion from the very event that you're, like, describing. But anyway. Military discipline, I guess. No, yeah. I yeah, you're you're in the middle of some some pretty great ones. I know that in the pale moonlight is often cited as a as an all timer for a lot of people. 
the you know the manipulation of getting the Romulans involved in the war. Um, you say Romulans, I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna go. Oh, really? Let's talk about Romulans. I'm fine talking Romulans as much as we want to, but uh, no, I'm glad you're enjoying it, man. You've got you've still got quite a bit of a ride to go, so uh, please enjoy it and share with us as you go, as you continue to go, because it's a lot of fun hearing. Yep, uh, two episodes to go in uh, season six, and then we're on to season seven. So, and everything will be fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally. Fine. Yeah, I assume it's just kind of like a like a romp, you know. Yeah, yeah it's all filler you know. episodes from now on. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. like they, they coast to the end. You know, nothing, nothing crazy. War, war. Uh, <laughs> Rachel, um, you're still watching TNG occasionally. Yeah, so I had norovirus before we went on vacation. Yeah. And uh, I watched a lot of TNG in a <laughs> fugue state while <laughs> I was yeah. laying in bed trying not to uh, throw up. So I think I watched like five or six episodes. <laughs> I was in and out of consciousness. Yeah. Um. So that was fun. And then we went to Disneyland, so I, mean, I didn't went to really Disneyland. watch any TNG there. Yeah. Um, no, you didn't even watch the finale. You waited until last night when we got back. Yeah, I don't like. Cause, I couldn't wait. Like our daughter was sleeping in the hotel room, so I didn't really want to like watch it on my phone huddled under the covers. It's not like the optimal viewing experience. <laughs> no, but any port in a storm. That's my motto. <laughs> well, you were going to get spoiled. So. Yeah, true. I, my likelihood of encountering spoilers is higher than yours generally. Uh, Cicero, my friend, what have you been up to? What, uh, what's your life in Trek been like outside of the season finale? If anything, uh, it is, it is really just been, uh, partaking the season finale and, um, spoilers or not spoilers, but Easter eggs. And, and like, it has been all Picard season three, all of the Star Trek time. Yeah. I think that's 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 probably good though. I mean, especially like I'm I'm going to be really interested to hear what everybody has to say about this one. Uh, and and a kudos, of course, to you for for taking the center seat last week. I really appreciate it. Uh, you did a commendable job as you usually do. So much obliged, sir. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, uh, Kyle. The Trek check in. What what else are you working on? And and. I have to ask too, because you've alluded to this Voyager novel that you just can't seem to get through. What book is this? Like what the, the book that is like a a bugabear for okay, the farther shore. By Christy Golden. Okay. It's this and part two of a two part book series, and she's got another two part right after it, and I'm reading through the litverse. Uh-huh. And I feel like I've run over a child, my inner child <laughs> um, in the middle of this book. And I'm just like, this is, this is, I'm sorry, Christy, if you're listening, this is not good for me anyway. Yeah. I'll finish it one day in 2023. I hope. Okay. All right. Well, besides trying to work through that, what else have you been up to? Uh, that's, that's it, man. Uh, rewatched uh, the finale one more good time and then got lost in a little Metroid prime remastered. Ooh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's delicious. Oh, oh, it's great. It's one of the best games ever made. So I'm glad you're so beautiful too. Like you look at the before and after they, it's, ins- it's insane. Serious amount of work on it. Totally insane. Yeah. Yeah. 
hopefully a, a foretaste of what's to come with number four before too long, you know, in the next tech decade, who knows? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And, you know, as, as it pertains to me, alluded to it before, uh, you know, we were at Disneyland last week. We took our daughter who is not yet three uh, to the happiest place on earth trademark. And, um, you know, we had a, we had a good t- like. I think that it's pretty safe to say that Rachel and I enjoy theme parks more than most rational people either do or should. Um, and you know, of course, a big thing on my list was getting to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Um, I am a big Star Wars fan. I am a bigger Star Trek fan, of course. But um, you know, I've been looking forward to going there, and I couldn't help but think of Star Trek: The Experience when I went there because that's about as comparable an immersive experience as I think I've ever had. Like they do a very good job in making you feel like, you, and I mean, galaxy's edge is a mammoth undertaking, even in comparison to star Trek, the experience, which was very self-contained. It was in a single building. I just love that thing to death. And I think they did an amazing job with the space that they had and the experiences that they created. But galaxy's edge uh, does a really good job of telling a story throughout the land. The character interactions are a lot of fun. And the ride, Rise of the Resistance, is a technical masterpiece. So um, had a lot of fun. I built a lightsaber. It's not here yet. I had to have it shipped home. Um, and that was grossly overpriced. But we had a gift card and figured, what the hell? It's an experience. Give it a shot. And uh, yeah, it was it, it, it was a lot of fun. But I am I do not miss fifty dollars for lunch for three people like every, almost every day. That was. A little rough. It does take the magic out of it, as I said off. I can hear the Star Spangled Banner playing in the background. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, yeah. now the the question the question, Chris, is the the uh, lightsaber was expensive. Yes. Would you have paid the full price to get it? Probably not. It's really? two hundred and twenty dollars. Okay. I mean, we we had a two hundred and five dollar gift card that came with oh. our reservation. Nice. So that was a lot easier to absorb. And Rachel gave, sure. uh, you know, she said it was okay for me to use it. There wasn't anything else in particular that we had our eyes on. But well, uh, I would have just used it to pay for food. Had it right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's two more meals. You know, right? right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. It is very overpriced and it is not as customizable as I think it should be. But mm. beyond what color that, yours? Uh, I chose green. Hmm. And mm. uh, it, it's kind of cool because the, based on the color that you choose, it also changes the activation sounds. So the one that I wanted was the one that I got with green, and that's Luke's from Return of the Jedi, which is just that yeah. it's that intense, like instant on that, like punches you in the face every time he turns it on. So I was very happy with it. I'm. Anxious to get it back home, but let uh, me ask you this: I mean, I mean, this this theme park is doing really well. Is it time to bring back Star Trek: The Experience? Oh, I thought it was time to bring back Star Trek: The Experience before it closed. I, I seriously love that place. My dad took me there when I was in eighth grade. It was in March of two thousand two, so it was before they had opened the second ride. So it was just the first one aboard the Enterprise D with a yeah. shuttle simulator ride. Cast participated. Um, the on-site, you know, uh, cast members, the employees of the experience were all like super into it. I remember the first time I walked up the ramp into Star Trek, the experience, I was wearing a Superman shirt and, um, there, a Romulan was walking down and he said, greetings, human, like almost. (laughs) And I was just like, wow, that's incredible. And then the further I got down, there was a Klingon named commander Chirac. 
and he he like pointed at me and said, "Your shirt is concerning, human." And he was a con. <laughs> like he said, the super the supermen led your planet to ruin. Don't tell me you support such things. I oh. said, no, 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 no. This is a different Superman. I promise. He's a good guy. Said, I don't oh. like God. And he just goes to plot and walks away. And, yeah. I mean, just like, and then the rides themselves, I did go back later after the Borg Invasion 4D ride came. And that was just mm-hmm. like, you're in a, a medical station on the edge of the Alpha and Delta Quadrants. And you're watching this presentation from the doctor played by Robert Picardo, a Borg cube attacks. And for some reason, the thing that sticks out the most in my mind from that, when the, when the, the station fires on the cube, you felt deck plates rumbling beneath your feet. Like it wasn't just a concrete floor. Like they actually built like metal underneath that you could feel shaking while they were firing weapons from the station. And then you see like the Borg assimilating the hallway and taking people from behind. It was it was incredible. In fact, I should probably just do an episode on Star Trek, the experience sometime yeah. because I love that place to death. So yes, it's time. It's well it's time. time to well, bring considering that. the popularity of discovery, maybe, maybe the new Star Trek, the experience, when you show up at the front door, they give you like a mushroom and then send you in and then see, <laughs> and then see, see what happens. You don't have to build your own lightsaber. You are the lightsaber. Here's your mycelium. Have yeah, a good yeah, time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Get a tube. Oh, all right. Well, enough of the, the deviation. We got a hell of an episode to talk about here. So let's move on to our discussion of episode 10 of Star Trek Picard season three and the series finale called The Last Generation. So as usual, these episode summaries come from the fine editors over at Wikipedia that are augmented somewhat by yours truly. Um, there's everything is going to kind of move pretty fast, even in comparison to some of the other episode summaries that I have sourced from this way. Um, but there's a lot of stuff to unpack. It's not mentioned here in the beginning, but the first thing I want to get everybody's reaction to before we actually get into the summary, Federation president, Anton Chekhov, uh, because that was already like, it was a highlight for me. I never expected Walter Koenig to participate in anything related to this franchise again. And as a TOS kid, you know, it was really nice and heartening to not only hear his voice, but to also see that they chose the name Anton for Pavel Chekhov's son. Uh, of course, an allusion to the late Mr. Anton Yelkin, who played Pavel Chekhov rather brilliantly in the Kelvin timeline films. Um, Zachy, what did you make of, uh, of a quasi return of Chekhov? Well, it obviously is just a pleasant, it was just nice to hear his voice. I also like that the specific uh, monologue that they gave him evoked the president in Star Trek four, uh, including specific uh, uh, phrases, you know, and it just, it sort of, it, it just highlighted how this season broadly, but these last two episodes in particular feel like uh, Terry Metellus, not just wrapping up this series, not just wrapping up the next generation, but really, Tying a bow around everything uh, in the in from the TOS era to um, the end of the Berman era, you know, like there's nods to everything. We got we got Enterprise, we got everything, you know, and it feels like uh, the belated uh, final statement for all of that. Yeah, agreed. The legitimacy of having a TOS cast member in that kind of aim, I think, is is uh, is very plain. 
to see. Uh, Kyle, what did you make of President Anton Chekhov? Seco, uh, sorry, Seco. Second, I second Zaki's opinion. It was very nice and surprising. You're like, oh, really? Right at the beginning, <laughs> they get you. They get you moving really quick, and uh, it was some of the same phraseology from Star Trek Four. And I, I thought that was a really fun way to use this universe. Definitely. Uh, Ty, I know you're not a big TOS guy, but did you, did you get a, at least a little bit of a kick of the, the Chekhov? Yeah, it was cool. It was recognizable. And like what I will say about like, yeah, making use of the universe, like I really appreciate the way often when they've done this, it's, it's in a way that it doesn't really detract from your experience. If you don't super know who the person is or what they're talking about, um, there's like another, you know, universe on TV, uh, that also starts with star where I feel like they tend to like kind of put a lot on the appearance of these cameo characters. And there's sort of like a lot of buildup towards that specific individual Ahsoka, Luke Skywalker showing up. Um, and if you don't really know the history of who those characters are or why they're showing up at that time, it, it for me as a viewer is like hyper distracting watching those shows. And so I like the way that they have dropped these characters in, in this season of Picard where if you know, it adds something. And if you don't know, it doesn't detract from your ability to follow what's going on uh, or enjoy the plot. And so I have, you know, like a familiar, like I know Chekhov more from the like Kelvin timeline movies, you know what I mean? Than, than from anything else. So um, like I'm familiar with the name, but uh, yeah, like it was like, so it was like kind of cool for me to see like, okay, I see that they're doing something there. I probably, it probably doesn't mean as much to me as to others, but like, that's fine because now we're moving on. Right. And it wasn't like right. the whole season was riding on this guy showing up. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I hope not by this point. Uh, <laughs> Cicero, president Anton Chekhov. There are always possibilities. <laughs> um, which was another line that, that Chekhov got the utter. Uh, so, I mean, this is awesome. Uh, and, and, Zachy is right. And I think that I'm I'm hoping that Zachy's perspective on uh the show will infect me because I don't necessarily have the same I didn't necessarily come away feeling the same way that he did, but I recognize that I saw the same things. And I'm hoping that his perspective will allow me to feel the same way about the same things that we saw that uh, as opposed to the way that I feel currently, but I felt great about this. Sure. Okay. Well, well said. Well, we will get into that. Yes. Uh, Rachel thoughts on president Anton Chekhov, if any, no, not a ton. It, it took me a while to figure it out. But I, was like, <laughs> I thought it was a novel. <laughs> 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 well, that was a dad. All right, well, let's uh, let's dive into the plot here. So Picard and the Enterprise crew find the Borg cube hiding in the clouds of Jupiter. Seven liberates the Titan from the assimilated crew and engages the fleet. Worf and Riker infiltrate the cube, while Picard plugs into the hive mind to rescue Jack from the Queen's influence. Um, well, now that the proverbial table is set, what were we thinking about the stakes established here? Were you guys able to put aside either the shock or disappointment of the Borg's return to go along for the ride, or did it still take some convincing at the beginning to fully get on board with this? Kyle, I want to throw it to you first, just because, you know, a lot of our conversations in the past have had to do with appropriately sort of, um, 
measuring what the stakes are for good Star Trek storytelling in particular. Um, and we're now back to global stakes here, uh, along with the return of the collective, which I know uh, met last week's panel with um, a degree of chagrin, I think is fair to say. Uh, so how do the stakes align in this instance for you? Um, I, I, di- I didn't, I didn't like it. You know, I, 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 I wanted this episode to redeem the, the hiding of the Borg as a major villain. And I don't feel like they, they made it over the mark. I think that, I think we talked about last time, Cicero, that there was just too much to try and unpack successfully. Um, and I don't think that they quite did it. I mean, everything, all the check boxes are technically checked, right? Like logically we did all the things we need to do to unfurl the plot and move on. But I just, I don't know, man, we had a really nice thing going until the Borg showed up. And then, uh, I feel like we, we didn't even spend the whole episode really discussing that unfurling. We, we, it was like the, the first half of this episode dealing with the Borg and then we move on to to close out everyone's lives, which was really great. I liked the back half of the episode a lot more, but I I think there was just too much going on that they should have slowed down at least by one more episode for that mm-hmm. to, to feel organic uh, to me. Yeah, I think, I think that's understandable. Uh, Ty, how about you when it comes to the stakes that were established here? Did you need to see more to sort of put things aside or were you able to go along for the ride from the start? Yeah, I think for me, it's just all, you know, it's just all about a pacing thing. Like I think the stakes are fine. If I had known that the threat was the Borg assimilating the fleet and then the fleet being used to assimilate earth. Um, And then as Beverly and um, excuse me, Diana say, uh, if Earth falls, everything falls, every planet, every system. So the stakes are actually uh, beyond planetary. Um, and I, I just, you know, the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. Okay, the show is called Picard. You know, everything kind of does have to culminate with the Borg. That all makes sense. Um, but to have it all need to culminate in kind of this 25 minutes or so, um, that was where the, the kind of issue with the stakes was for me. I think, you know, earth is going to get assimilated feels about right for a Picard, you know, like for the concluding season of Picard, but for crammed into what felt like crammed to me into like 20, 25 minutes, uh, like Kyle said at the beginning half of the episode, that was where, uh, yeah, it just was hard for me to get into that at that point. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Rachel, the stakes as established in the beginning, were they too high? Did they feel appropriate for the, for bringing things home? How did they come together for you? Yeah, I, I think I agree that it makes sense for Picard to face the Borg in his final encounter, but it was also, it was very quickly set up and the first half of this episode in particular felt like very rushed to me and at times that just sort of struck me as like silly like they're like oh we found we found the board cube it's in the gases of jupiter and i'm like wait what like how'd you find it <laughs> like <laughs> data i guess Probably. well data scanned and then they looked at it and they were like where is it and picard looked closer and then he saw yeah. it yeah. That's yeah. Right. picard oh. saw it first yeah 
Right. Know. Okay. I mean, it was just like, I was just like, oh, we found it. Like, I don't know. It was like, <laughs> no, right. It was just a lot of things like that where it just felt like a little bit silly to me. Some Picard silliness. All right. But I was okay with it. I, yeah. Okay. Cicero, is this where your problems began or how did this come together at the beginning? So, um, your parents have promised you $50,000 in gold doubloons. And you, you know, what? you know, I love that it. You I love can, it. right? You know that you can get these gold doubloons. Um, they're buried somewhere in the yard and you can find them if you go through this elaborate, like Rube Goldberg type of mission. Right, so you and your friends plan out this 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 you, you concoct this plan to go through the entire <laughs> event while your parents are away for the weekend to find these these fifty thousand dollars in gold blooms that are somewhere in your yard. Um, so you you start the event, and when you're through the first challenge, you get a text saying that your parents are coming home. Half as fast as they said that they were coming, coming home. So they're going to be home right away. So now you've got to go through all of the the missions, super super duper fast, in order to get those gold blooms. That's what this last episode feels like. It's just like <laughs> we're just going to rush through and do all of the events as quickly as we possibly can in order for us to find those gold doubloons because we have to find them, <laughs> right? Because if we don't find them now, they're going to turn into dust or whatever Whatever is going to happen before my parents come home. That is <laughs> that is what is going on. And, you know, so that was the problem. That was the, the worry that I had two episodes ago. It is the worry that I continue to have that I felt was confirmed when they, they, they kind of made this hard left turn into the Borg being the, uh, the big bad. Obviously, in retrospect, a week removed from that reveal, it makes sense that the Borg is the big are the big bad for for Picard. Um, I just don't feel like it was set up properly um, for for it to have the type of space and gravitas that this final battle right. should have had. Um, and and I felt like by the time we got to the final episode, it was like. You you just had to run through it. There was a show called Steam Pipe Alley with Mario Cantone in New York. It was a it was a kids show, and he would go through and have these little contests, and the kids would like win actual toys or you know gaming consoles at the end, and he would help them go through the final mission. So he just wanted these kids to get through the stuff, and he would literally drag the kids through <laughs> through the contests to help them win in time so that Did they, they win gold doubloons <laughs> gold doubloons that would disappear that's what this it felt like mario cantone was dragging me by the collar through the plot um uh shout out to mario cantone it, it was it was can it I, was uh, can I provide another analogy yes please it's the Borg Queen is the Star Trek equivalent of somehow Palpatine returned. 
<laughs> yes. Yes. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad, but like. It was approaching. Very sudden. Well, you know what? There was only one Palpatine. There are many Borg Queens. That's true. I so, hope that's true. I don't know. We saw a lot of clones in Moff Gideon's lab. Who knows? Yeah, if, dark uh, magic cloning. That's true. But they they would all be the same actor. Right. Yeah. Well, Rube Goldberg and now Mario Cantone are becoming surrogate members of the debrief crew here. This is a. There you uh, go. <laughs> I'm going to go to my backyard and search for, search for some gold bullion after this. Cicero. <laughs> uh, Zachy, we haven't really had a chance to connect with you about how this season has progressed, but you probably can tell based on the conversation so far that a fair amount of panelists here were a little disappointed that we're going back to the Borg uh, one more time as as uh, the, the final enemies for the crew of the Enterprise D to face off against. How do you feel about returning to the Borg for these final couple of episodes? And how do the stakes come together for you as the finale kicked off? Well, I, I think that the, the use of the Borg in this season only makes sense in terms of the way in which they, the, the, the personal stakes that were conceived. I, I think that totally tracks for me the idea that Picard has to, uh, overcome his greatest fear which is returning to the collective what would make what would make him do that i that all of that tracked with me i think the problem with the use of the borg in this season is not so much a problem in this season as the fact that they were used or not used particularly well in the previous two seasons and so so you have this like oh the borg again and uh, you know i i it just <laughs> The the fact that this show had to hang a lampshade over it and literally be like, yeah, forget all that shit on the Stargazer. Anyway, the real boy. Like, <laughs> that's that's the writers just throwing their hands in the air and being like, I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't do anything about it. You know, I mean, Captain Shaw spoke for all of us, I think, in saying that, right? And and so it's just one of those things where I I'm like I I'm not going to hold a creative decision that they seemed half-hearted about in the previous year against what seems like a better, a more thought-through creative decision in this season. Uh, because I think the use of the Borg seems appropriate both as as a culminative big bad and also just as as something that works as the emotional through-line for this, for this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's well said. You... I actually uh, a, a point in the discussion that we'll have later on is the comparison, whether or not it is fair. Um, you may have already settled that question, but we will probably revisit it later in the discussion. But yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to uh, to give this episode the benefit of the doubt, especially, you know, hindsight's always going to be 2020 in the moment. Um, you know, I don't think that I was particularly enamored with the idea of returning to the Borg, except for, you know, who else is it going to be that gives this crew its last test? And if you can add a degree of additional legitimacy to this version of the Borg in comparison to what we've seen in the previous two seasons, uh, that worked enough for me. And I was also still writing a high off of uh, President Chekhov, so that probably helped. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I guess I'm I'm curious about the queen in particular because 
Uh, Kyle, you know, I know you've expressed in the past that the queen herself is a detriment to the concept of the Borg, the overall construct of the Borg. Um, The queen here, I I guess I'm just curious how she came together because uh, the thing that I particularly found interesting is the idea of her sort of subsisting off of what remains of the collective and seeing a, a giant cube that utterly dwarfs the Enterprise D being full of dead drones when, you know, this is clearly a collective that is on its last leg. But when it comes to the queen, uh, how did the use of the queen, uh, you know, come together in terms of the personal conflict that Captain Admiral Picard has to go through? Uh, Kyle, please, why don't you go first? It's me again, Captain Wet Blanket. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to bifurcate this answer. A, the, I, I never liked the queen. Like the Borg to me are much scarier when they're leaderless. And when they first show up in Star Trek, they, they're singular because of that. The minute you bring the queen in, I feel like you, you're shortcutting your way to like a mustache twirly villain, right? And I think they've accelerated this uh, in this particular moment, right? My headcanon when the queen showed up in first contact was that you know, maybe she's like a transmitter or she's just like a the PR face for it or something like that. She's the code that the Borg writes so that they can interface with people directly, civilizations directly. But they go further down this road in this uh, in this incarnation of the Borg where she is, you know, the Borg itself and she's feeding off of them. It's like the Borg had a, a narcissistic leadership moment and they lost, you know, <clears throat> uh, that I don't like, uh, in agreement with Zaki and others about the appropriateness of bringing, you know, the Borg back as a Picard centric villain and for it to be the queen in particular, that does make like a thematic story sense for Jean-Luc Picard, uh, I, I wish they had implemented that better, but it makes total sense that that would, he'd have to overcome that hurdle on account of his son to make sense. Like all the mechanics of that on papers look really good, but me and the queen, man. Mm, mm-mm. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. Well, before I throw it to the rest of the panel, let me just get the second point of the plot out of the way too, because I think that it has some bearing on uh, on the discussion of the queen. Because the queen reveals that after Catherine Janeway's pathogen attack decimated the Borg, the remnants of the collective struck a deal with the rogue changelings to destroy Starfleet from the inside. She also reveals her intent to use the newly assimilated Starfleet youth to breed a new generation of Borg that will annihilate all other life. Uh, So, I mean, the thing that I want to bring in, because I think that it does have bearing and and Kyle, please, you know, feel free to chime in if if this changes things for you. But we're actually finally seeing something substantive that acknowledges the aftermath of Endgame, uh, where, you know, the alternate future Admiral Janeway introduces a neurolytic pathogen into the collective and uh, conceivably decimates them for what we think is maybe forever. And we're actually seeing something follow up on that. You know, I think the the cube that was encountered in Prodigy, they were kind of lumbering around a little bit because of the effects of the pathogen, if I'm remembering correctly. But um, Cicero, I actually want to throw it to you first. Um, 
does the idea of following up on that crippling blow that Voyager dealt the collective and putting them on such a back foot for this final confrontation, does that add anything to it for you? Yes, it does. Unfortunately, it was one line of dialogue in a, in a, uh, like an F1 speedway version of an episode where you were getting info dump after info dump after info dump. So I missed that, right? Like I missed that part of the episode. Also, it would have taken me some time to remember the fact that that's a thing that happened in Endgame, even though I had seen that show and probably uh, uh, amongst the people here on this panel is probably the person to have seen it the most recent um, in, in watching Voyager. But it would be something that I still would have to remember and would need that time in order for its impact to, to hit me. And I think that for, you know, for the, the, the most deeply entrenched, then no, they don't need that time, right? They don't need that buffer to, to figure that part out. But for the rest of us, um, you definitely do. And I, I'll, I'll continue to go back to, the thing that I had been saying about this show in particular is that while most of the people that are watching Picard that are this far in, right at the end of it, are people that have seen TNG and have an affinity for uh, that crew and and this and that particular captain, the number of those people that allowed their Trek fandom and their Trek love to extend beyond TNG into at least even the other Berman shows, I think is, is very, very limited. So when you start introducing characters and plots that were exclusive to those other shows, you've got to do so in a way that, that, make space for those people to understand that stuff and not just the people that have already witnessed those things and understand that, that portion of the canon prior to it being introduced to them in this, and in, in this way, because it's so, so abbreviated um, in terms of, in terms of its introduction before its impact is felt within, within, uh, within the, 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 you know, the plot at that particular moment, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like, Hey, pull out the salt. Now throw the salt in the, in the food. Right. And, and, you know, and you just keep doing that and that it's like, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, Zachy, when it comes to the queen, um, you know, that it, it is, you know, arguably a throwaway line, but it also establishes that this is like the culmination of everything that we've seen from the Borg during uh, really their introduction up through the end of Voyager and then, you know, into more recent stuff. Um, how does the queen play out as the overarching antagonist for you in these closing moments? I, well, first of all, I, I agree with, with Kyle's point about the queen sort of being antithetical to what made the Borg effective in the first place. I mean, I, I, I thought that back when I saw first contact, but I mean, we're now, you know, a quarter century into the queen being part of the canon. So you just sort of roll with it. Uh, I, you know, I watched uh, this season with, with my boys and, 
you know, they're familiar with Next Generation, uh, but not so much with with the other shows because we just haven't worked our way through them yet. And they they weren't confused by the Queen's presence in this story. And I took that as kind of some indication that they're just like, like without having seen Voyager and all the various machinations there, they were able to just be like, oh, okay, so, uh, you know, I guess the Queen didn't like fully die in first contact and this is what's left of her. They were able to roll with it. And I just, I thought that was kind of interesting where it did kind of work on this level where if you know, you know, but if you don't know, it's not, like it doesn't shatter the edifice to such a degree that you can't, you can't sort of, you know, uh, ride the wave, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. I think that makes, makes a lot of sense. Uh, Ty, when it comes to uh, the use of the queen here, especially, you know, you haven't seen Voyager yet. Um, no, but, I have seen uh, Voyager. I, I will say, the- I don't remember. I don't remember what the heck happened in Endgame. Like I watched Voyager. <laughs> I got a picture with uh, Kate well, Mulgrew. Tony Stark sacrificed himself to save. But that him. episode oh. was crazy. Yeah, like <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not saying it was like bad, but I'm just saying I don't remember what happened. Uh, Forgive me. I just yeah, you're right. You no, know, yeah, you, Voyager was kind of your show, right? Yeah, you know they all are when I'm watching them. So <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. now, Deep Space Nine is my show. You know, That's right. Um, yeah. Before that, Prodigy was my show. But anyway, uh, yeah. Like I just like there was just so much about the Queen that I just sort of didn't get, and it felt like they were trying to be like, but she's scarier now. And I was just sort of like, I, but why? Because she ate her crew. <laughs> but like, if she ate her crew, then what are all these voices in Jack's head? Like, there's still, you know, what I mean, he's describing this collective and thousands of voices, like which is it like I, I and i'm not saying that like the the people who made the show didn't have an answer to that question and that they didn't even try like i'm not even saying that they didn't try to communicate that to me as a viewer but like i missed it dude like i i just didn't like i also didn't understand why they suddenly were like we don't care about assimilating people anymore we just want to annihilate people like i just was like okay like i don't get this like why'd you bring back the scariest enemy if you're going to change their whole nature into something completely different from what made them scary. Zach, I see maybe you have an answer for me about that. I I thought I might, I might address uh, the questions you're asking. Uh, The only voice he hears in his head is the queen uh, throughout. And when he's describing the collective, it's the, it's the new, it's the new Borg drones that have spread throughout Starfleet. So that, that is the new collective that has been created after, um, uh, Jack essentially becomes the box for the board. So he, so in creating this new collective, he finds the belonging that he's been looking for all his life. Would he feel that way if Sydney wasn't a part of it? Uh, yeah, I just I like. Don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. The, I guess that answer makes sense. Uh, I don't know the whole arc of Jack. Like, I, I think we'll talk about this when we get to, like Jack's redemption or whatever. But like. I mean, Jack as a character just became completely fundamentally confusing to me. Like it was like, okay, did you guys ever play Fable, the Xbox game? So you play this game, right? And you can be a jerk or you can be a good guy. But the whole time you're like trying to save your sister. And then at the end, you get to your sister and you like fight the bad guy or whatever. I'm not good with remembering like the details of endings of things, right? But like uh, you fight the bad guy and then the bad guy's like, cool, man. You now the game is like, you can either save your sister or you can like, kill her and then you get this cool sword that the bad guy had and you're like what the hell are you talking about right like i was 
like I was doing, like I've been working up to this whole, this one thing, this whole entire time. And, and I just like for Jack to suddenly be like, yeah, it's cool that I've had this mom that's loved me and taken care of me for my whole life. But like, that wasn't enough because now there's this brand new collective that we just made up. But now I'm over them because this dad that I never even like, you know, that I like thought was a jerk because I met him at a bar this one time. Like now I'm convinced that like, he's enough for me as this like grown man. My, my absentee father is like my, like it just like nothing about the whole scene, like any of that scene with Jack and the queen and Picard like clicked for me at all. You know Um, it felt like uh, it felt like another scene out of mass effect, but like (laughs) without me getting to control the outcome in any way. So, Oh, all right. I think look, it's it's a it's a fair perspective. Uh, Rachel, the Queen. How does the Queen come together for you? What are your thoughts? You seem like you have them. No, I just well, I didn't know when to bring this up, but there was a, there's a subtext in this episode that started to make me feel kind of uncomfortable, where it's like all of the. the <laughs> The children, it's like the youngs, their minds have been taken over mm-hmm. and they can't think for themselves. And now your son is stuck in it and you have to go in and get him out with your love. But he wants to be there because all of his friends feel like that too. And I'm like, is this about wokeness? No, it's about TikTok. It's about TikTok. It's, it's about not TikTok. About yeah. Okay. Well, that's more comforting because I was like, is this like some old man writer no, being no. like, the kids are all woke. It's like they're in a hive mind. You can't have I mean, a show. Listen, with listen, listen, Rachel, hive minds. What's that like? That's like communism. Who's communist? Chinese. What do the Chinese do? They run TikTok. We've got to save our gold to our kids. All right, yes. And so we got to save our kids from the TikTok right. and get the gold doubloons. Brought it up last time, but <laughs> well, like, you know, they're attacking TikTok. them through network computers, too. So, like, yeah. it's yeah. right in the yeah. internets, man. Okay, it's about social media. All right. I don't think he's like, can... all my friends are here with me. I can't. So I guess I guess the moral of the story <laughs> is that if, you're, if your kid is spending too much dang time on their phone... <laughs> You just got to get in there with them and be like, hey, son, I love you. Get off of that. And 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 he'll unplug himself. I don't think you can have a show like this that has a rather substantive allegory for the experience of trans folks in particular through one of the main characters and be called anti-woke you know okay. it's just it seems like there's a conflict no i i like the like social media thing of it for some yeah. reason i was thinking i'm like i for some I'm sure reason thinking i'm sure they're not saying like, that specifically but like everyone under 25 is affected you're just like what you know right <laughs> Zachary, what? what did you make of that is this is is picard season three an indictment of the follies of youth <laughs> I don't think it's an indictment of the follies of youth. I think it's an acknowledgement that, um, uh, you know, people who are older still have something to offer. I mean, it, it feels like maybe an echo a little bit of uh, where uh, TNG was in the episode Relics, right? Um, that, that's what I got out of it anyway. You know, I mean, it's, it's I mean, this, this is the TNG crew's uh, undiscovered country, you know, and I think, 
uh, when you when you watch the end of the undiscovered country and you've got the you know they're wrinkled and pudgy and you know and they're clambering onto the bridge of the enterprise at the end and they're kind of like hey we saved the civilization again one more time right and you say you know they're, they're they still had something to offer uh i feel like that's what this is saying although although i've seen the the, the woke uh interpretation online by a few people so you know i mean i think mm-hmm. i think that's with art you know uh, art and intention and interpretation aren't always the same thing so there are people who are having that interpretation. I think, well, it's a valid reading. I mean, it's there, you know. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think I think last week Ty made a similar observation to the one that you're alluding to, Zachy, which is that uh, if if the idea was not necessarily an indictment on young people, but but more of a um, a a heralding of the fact that that we need to lean more on the ex- wisdom and experience of, of of people that have been there for a long period of time um like the 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 crew of the, of the Enterprise D um we should have spent more time or the the showrunner should have spent more time impressing that lesson upon us the viewer um you know so, so uh, to Ty's point, we could have we could have created that that portion of that allegory in the story where he's in in the bar eating, trying to eat his cod, and he's talking to all the young cadets, right? And and how they could have been impetuous, and he could have shown them how being wise and and you know s- spending time learning things and taking the time to think about things is, is just as valuable as being athletic and being impetuous or, you know, um, those kinds of things. And, but we didn't necessarily get those lessons then. Um, So they don't, they, they can resonate now with people in, in later lessons in the show, but I don't think that they naturally resonate with people in this, in the ways that maybe they wanted them to, because they didn't set those types of things up beforehand when they had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair. All, all fair points. I mean, we have also seen Star Trek uh, try to remind the audience that older folks still have things to offer. I mean, it's, it's a huge underpinning component of Star Trek too, for sure. instance, you know, yeah. I mean, sure. Uh, Admiral Kirk going through the struggles of aging really. And, and the cynicism that has been <laughs> brought about by it and kind of getting his groove back. I mean, and also, but, but then by the time he gets his groove back, he's confronted with a loss that he's never been confronted with before. Yeah. So, uh, uh, he, William Shatner was 50 when that was made, right? Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> a conversation that Harv Bennett recalled where Shatner was down on the idea of Kirk's age being front and center. But then Bennett said, you know, you you know who you remind me of and your graceful aging is Spencer Tracy. And that seemed to bring uh, Shatner uh, around. It's oh, a charm yeah. offensive. He knew you know? how to and, butter and that yeah, biscuit. They, they never say how old Kirk is because Shatner yeah. didn't want that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Of course, because you had to have that 
that moment, but uh, <laughs> well, uh, let's let's move along with the plot. So there's a lot condensed here. Um, the assimilated fleet disables the Titan, destroys Earth's planetary shields, and starts targeting major cities. The Enterprise locates the beacon broadcasting Jack's command signal and destroys it, causing a chain reaction, while Picard succeeds in freeing Jack from the Queen. The Enterprise beams up Worf, Riker, Picard, and Jack and escapes the exploding cube. So a couple of things. First of all, you know, shortcomings aside that are debatable from a narrative perspective, it was fantastic seeing the old girl fly again. I have to say, you know, I was along for that ride. I'll tell you what, I didn't realize how much I missed seeing that ship because we haven't seen it since 1994, right? At least in in the present. But having like the full modern mechanisms of a major television production behind the Enterprise D, that classic Probert design, I was here for it. But that being said, you know, the full crew dynamic is in play for these moments. We get to see Worf and Riker on an away team together again, while Picard puts aside his command to take care of his son. And then, of course, on the bridge, you have uh, LaForge showing his command chops that we all knew we had anyway, but it's still good to see them. Uh, Dr. Crusher has learned how to fire a phaser or two in the intervening 20 and, years. And torpedoes. And torpedoes. And it was pretty cool to see that. And also like they're found by counselor Troy's abilities. Like everybody has something going on, which is certainly more than you can say with a lot of the TNG films that were released or all of the TNG films, if you want to get really technical, but um you know, I'm of two minds about this part of the episode because on the one hand, for me, it was entirely devoid of tension. I had no doubt whatsoever that Jack was going to be saved mm -hmm. at the end of it. On the other hand, I really relished this crew having one last ride. And it was a worthy trade-off to me for a lack of tension to see them have their moments one more time. Uh, but how did everybody else feel about that? Uh, Rachel, first, let's go to you. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, most of my problems with the episode kind of ended at this point where I just felt like we were just kind of having a little bit of fun um, and got to see everybody do their thing. Um, I was worried they were going to kill off half the people, but they didn't. So, yeah. Um, the ship wasn't even scathed, which nope. I was also worried they would uh, kill off the Enterprise D uh, again. Kind of like how many times do I got to see this ship blow up? <laughs> but I, they did. No so more yeah, I liked it. It was, it was fun. And she, she rests until she's needed again. Uh, Ty, how about you? How did the trade off go? If any, between, you know, likely no, uh, no tension whatsoever when it comes to Jack's resolution, but also having that last moment with the TNG crew. Uh, yeah, it, it like it had its moments. Uh, I don't think I was as fond of it as, as maybe some folks were. I would just say if anybody ever finds themselves in a situation where they are being ordered to press the button that shoots the photon torpedoes that are going to kill their son, <laughs> I will press that button for you. I will not make you press that button because that's messed up. Um, Starfleet material, sir. I, I also, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to gripe about one last little thing, which is a trend in all of the new Star Trek shows, um, which is 
waiting until uh, way after the last second for the day to get saved. So like there's a sequence here where Worf, you said everybody played a role. I, I don't really remember what Worf and Riker did other than like hold off the Borg that weren't supposed to be there because all the collective got eaten, but then two of them just came and started attacking Warfare. They were together, but that's okay. They were, they were together again. They were together doing an away team, and yeah, the, it's the, the power is super heavy, which I thought was a fun little detail. It's the power of love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so right, exactly. Like they were together. Uh, they were fighting off the the thing. Uh, like I, I don't really know if they played a role, but. Uh, Sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought there because I was going to mention that Batleth. That was a cool thing. Uh, Worf had a, like everything out of Worf's mouth in this episode was was like gold, right? Yeah. Like Riker's like, shit, this thing, why why were you using this if you had a gun the whole time? And he's just like, <laughs> swords are fun. And it's just <laughs> end, end of conversation. Yeah, excellent. Uh, Cicero, how did the uh, dynamic between likely a tensionless moment with jack versus the true final ride of the crew of the enterprise d play out for chris you chris you you were just at disney right and uh you know you went to star wars galaxy's edge and and you know how the the ride was incredible imagine because you have to like you have to set up reservations for this right like you have to reserve your time to be at the Star Wars pavilion or whatever it is. Actually, actually not anymore, but I take okay. the meaning. Right. So at some point you used to have to do that. So imagine if you picked your time, this was your one day to be at the Star Wars thing and get all the Star Wars stuff. And there's a monsoon. It is pouring rain. Oh man. Right. <laughs> and you still have to go through and you get to ride the rides and the rides were amazing, but it's pouring rain. You're soaked, right? So you're in this mix of having a great time and a really shitty time. And you, you've got to like, <laughs> you've got this dichotomy that you're dealing with. And that's what this, that's what this portion of this episode was, right? It was um, this, goofy time right like it was it was a complete ride that they stole from star wars right like if you ever go to six flags right they they take a they take a a roller coaster and they just take the name off of the roller coaster plaster a different name on it and now it's you know now it's a new theme well that's what we got we got a we got a trench run we got uh we got a a force pull that that discovered the people so we could fly the ship directly to them and pick them up a la Empire Strikes Back. We got the trench run a la Return of the Jedi. We got uh we got um let's see uh who was it who was it that said it here goes nothing? Oh it was data. Data says here goes nothing. Um just like Lando says right before he goes into the Death Star and in, in Jedi. Um that, like it's all of all of the things are, are right there. There was no tension. What I didn't understand, this is the thing that really was like, oh, what's the problem here? Why were they sunning data the way that they were? Yeah, like, right. Data's like, data's like, hey, I can do this thing, right? Because, you know, while I may be like human. No, no, no. Cicero, before that, they're standing around being like, man, not even the best pilot in the world or a computer could do this. Right, and Dana's right. like, uh, 
Uh, right. <laughs> I can be both of those things. Right, right. <laughs> and they're like, shut up, Data. What are you, you know, listen, go back and drink your robot juice. Like, get out of here. You don't here. get what being a real person you is like, Data. Right, right. right. <laughs> don't die so, again. Right. So, so they, like, just out of nowhere, are just like, Data, you're a doofus. What do you, <laughs> what do you even mean you could do this? And then he's like, come on, guys, believe in me. Come on, I'm a real boy now. And they're like, okay, if you really think so. Like putting he's like putting all the eggs in the data basket is really like this big, crazy risk that they've never taken right, before. It is like a right. huge gamble, right? right. How many and times would they have literally died if not for right. data? That's the situation you right. want to be in. <laughs> right. And, and so, like, I just I – just, didn't understand again it's another one of those moments where because you ran out of time these things make no sense Mm. they make no sense they are not given the time for any of these things to really have any type of tension or uh any type of rationale uh and and i think this sequence from from a narrative's perspective was was full of those all right strong words strong words uh kyle how about you uh if there is a biological spectrum of humans on this on this podcast and this panel i might be leaning more toward ty and cicero like it it it, it was nice to see them it was nice to see the ship uh i i Anyone who said that the Enterprise D was not a cinematic-looking vessel in Generations is completely wrong, because uh, it looked great flying around, uh, except for the trench run, which I felt—I don't know—the physics of that didn't make sense to me. But when the when the when the ship showed up at the planet <laughs> at Jupiter, you're like, you're like, yeah, yeah. that looks like a good yeah. ship, because it is a good ship. But like all of these buttons are pressing are nostalgia only. There was no tension. It, it felt a bit silly. What I couldn't figure out is like. Let me ask you a question. Like, how many people do you need to fly one of these ships? <laughs> right? Seven. No, let me ask you this. Why do I they need a zero. crew? Why do they need yeah. a crew at all? You know, like, if you can automate everything. Like, Jordy's usually down in engineering, like, literally applying duct tape to stuff. Like, <laughs> they were getting shot at by a Borg cube. Was there not? An, did they? I don't know. I I, I was thinking about those things where normally I don't think about those things. Normally yeah, I, I try to go along for the ride. You and I have had more than one conversation where I get caught up on some like technical aspect. Like, how are they able to, and you're like, go on for the ride. And yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm not a starship guy. Them. Like I love the enterprise D I like the ships generally, but when you get in the minutia of it, like I'm just not, I'm, I'm more of a story guy. And this whole segment of them, goofing off on the bridge i don't know it was more nostalgia than anything else and i'm not a guy who suffers the sacred like i'm story and character motivation and stuff like that and i feel like this was just here's some free potatoes see i guess i I guess the reason (laughs) it didn't bug me was just that we've seen a talented chief engineer jury rig an enterprise to run with a skeleton crew before so you know, if Scotty can do it on on the original Enterprise, a ship that was, you know, beat to bejesus and back by Khan. Yeah. Uh, and 
get it out of the space dock. Why couldn't Jordy have some well, special? Well, sure, but like they didn't. You know, we knew the Enterprise existed in the story with Scotty at the beginning of those stories. Like the Enterprise D showed up at the last second here. Sure. Like if, if the first time we visited the museum, they showed us the Enterprise D. Perfect. That would have been it. And when the time came to answer this question, Jordy, it's, it's a surprise to show the crew. No, no, no. Everyone should have been like, it's not on the network. We can go there. It would have made much more organic sense. You know, it would have laid, it would have laid some of the. Here's, here's where the book is going to come into play. The book that's going to be written that underpins all of these things. He installed a bunch of hollow projectors throughout the main systems of the ship. And he's got a bunch of EMH Mark ones working the mines in the enterprise D engine room. Uh, there you go. <laughs> We should get a shot of Robert Ricardo in engineering. (laughs) 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 Discovery. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I'm an engineer, Uh, not a doctor. (laughs) Did I miss anybody uh, talking about the the bisection between tensionlessness and reward of seeing the Enterprise D crew? Okay, I think we're good. Well, let's move along with the plot. So, um, well, I mean, we already talked about it a little bit, but you know, the idea of whether or not we should blame the first two seasons for misusing the Borg as opposed to season three for using them in a different way. I think we've reasonably addressed that. Um, so with the Borg destroyed once and for all, the assimilated Starfleet personnel returned to normal. The Enterprise is returned to the Fleet Museum. Now Admiral Crusher devises treatments to remove the Borg DNA and transporter modifications to expose the remaining changeling infiltrators. So the consequence of this seems to be that the extinction of the collective is at hand, stemming from the crippling blow at the end of Voyager, and now this final kick, courtesy of the Enterprise D. So I guess the thing I really want to know is, considering the misgivings about going back to the Borg yet again, and considering the aims of this show as a finale for these characters, is the extinction of the Borg a worthy trade-off for using them one more time? Like, if we're like, okay, this is it. Is that okay? Does that give going back to the Borg a little bit more of a pass knowing that, well, we can't go here again. They're gone. They're dead. Uh, Kyle, please. No. All right. No, the, the, the Borg are going to show up again. They're just, they're just going to show up again because they showed up again. And that's the way it is. Um, Strange new worlds. I, I don't know how they're going to do it or what they're going to do. I hope they do something creative with it. My one of my favorite Borg episodes is from Voyager, where they uh, Chakotay bumps into like a bunch of ex bees, and mm-hmm. he has that moment with the woman, and there's a little bit of connectivity between people, and they're trying to use it to like leverage themselves into something good, build community out of it. Like, I'm not saying the Borg should like turn good or something, but like you could take the Borg is a collective mind. It could have a collective personality. You could play all kinds of stuff with that, but they're going to show up again as another like evil cackling villain. Like the Borg queen literally cackled in this episode. They want to play that again. I promise they will show up again. You think they're going to be, what if in season five of discovery, they mention, Oh yeah, the Borg, they were killed back in the 25th century. Spock should be dead. He's not. So like anything's possible in this franchise. They will come back. I, For some I, reason, they think they are the biggest bad in Star Trek. 
I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree that it's certainly possible to use them again. I guess I would be surprised if they went back to the Borg with any degree of rapidity, let's say. Um, but, you know, I've been wrong before. Um, Zachy, what do you make of the idea? Do you think that um, them sort of planting a flag in the ground about the potential extinction of the collective is a sign that this is not territory they're going to revisit again anytime soon? Or do you think that like Kyle, this is an, an inevitability and words don't matter when there is money to be made. <laughs> well, I, I agree with Kyle that, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be back at some point. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, it, it's like killing off the Joker in a Batman comic. Uh, he's dead until the next time he comes back. But I don't even view that as a bad thing necessarily. I mean, I think, I think now the story is at a certain point with the board and Next time we see them, it'll have to, by definition, be something a little bit different. That's okay. Um, I, you know, I mean, I think that's sort of the nature. That's that's the trade-off when you're working within a continuing universe that is handed off from one creative to another. I mean, there's going to be somebody else down the line who's going to be like, "I want to use the board," right? And you know, they'll figure something out. I'm it, assuming, you know. And they have the second season of Picard. They did something different with them. And then we have those Borg yeah. also somewhere in the mix. That weird shit on the stargazer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those aren't the real Borg. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they are now. <laughs> they are now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rachel, what do you make of, um, you know, the conceivable. Uh, I, I feel like Chris, you of all people should know that no one's ever really dead. No one's ever really gone. As a as a comic book aficionado. Yeah, yeah, man. But, I mean, it was a long time between the end of Voyager and the first season of Picard. Like, we didn't have any new Borg stories in live we action. We had that Enterprise that one. Regeneration. That was in the past, though. That was in the past. <laughs> it, yeah. it's, it uh, new. <laughs> it's very timey-wimey in that universe. Yeah, no, I didn't like that. Um, but I don't think they're gone forever. Okay. You can find a way to bring them back if you want to. And they're too good of a villain, I guess, at this point. Are they? I agree with Kyle in that they were way scarier before the Borg Queen showed up. But yeah, they are kind of the big bad of Star Trek. All right. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the changeling threat is just chop liver. Well, we haven't seen the Dominion. Well, Crusher solved that. Yeah, she solved that. Yeah, totally. True. Yeah. Uh, Ty, what do you make of uh, this this sort of blow to the Borg? They're going to sleep, let's say. Uh, I mean, sure. Like you guys have pointed out, it's not mutually exclusive. Like you could say that they got wiped out here and now and continue using them in Star Trek in various, you know, timey-wimey types of plots. Um, I'm just still trying to wrap my head around, like, I don't even get, like, <laughs> but I thought your insight about, like, Zachy and Kyle, what you guys have been saying about the Queen, you know, that was a really, really good point that I never quite put my finger on or thought too much about, but, I mean, even now, this whole thing is just blowing my mind even more, like, they were this amalgamation of all these different species they had assimilated, and now they're just like, no, we're gonna throw all that out the window, and now it's just Starfleet guys, and they have transmitters, and now we just annihilate instead of assimilate and i don't like what about that is borg that's just a master race with a leader you know what i mean like that's just an army with a scary boss um 
So like, I don't, it, it, and, and I think, but to, like to take a bigger answer to your question, Chris, like, I don't care about the rent. Like I watched like 10 episodes of Picard to enjoy myself watching 10 episodes of Picard and to, to have a cohesive story told to me. And I don't, I don't care about the ramifications of that story outside of those 10 episodes of Picard right now. Right. Like they'll find ways to play with elements of this going forward in the future. You know, that's other people's jobs that I want nothing to do with. Like, you know, they'll, <laughs> they'll figure out ways to tie stuff in and change the timelines and blah, sure. blah, blah. Right. Yeah, um, sure, sure. But just, just for me, like the Borg, it was like, it's cool to go back to them as like, I, I do like still think of them as like a potentially big, like awesome villain in Star Trek, but it just does seem like they, uh, have not quite been using the Borg in the way that to me makes them feel like they live up to that potential as a really terrifying villain. And, and what was up with Picard takes the, or I'm sorry, Riker takes the uh, phaser out of the ballot and he just shoots these, he shoots the Borg in the head and they just die. There's no modulating of frequencies or anything. I was very, it to, well, it was only two shots. It usually takes a, like three or four shots. Yeah. yeah. We're good. Like, I don't, I I get what you guys are saying as far as the technical explanation, but I don't get what the, like, it didn't feel that way tension as a, right. Like as a narrative, like as a story that I'm being told, it's like, oh, they're scary because like you can just shoot them and they die. And like Picard can just go in and get his kid out by asking him to come out. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, even if there's a technical board, don't shoot typically, you know, like that was actually something that. There's a game that came out in 2000 called Star Trek Voyager Elite Force, where there was a segment of a cube that was separated from the collective. And you're part of this like highly armed away team and you go over to the cube. And one of their adaptations to their environment of being cut off from the collective was creating projectile weapons. And the away team was freaking out. It's like, since when do the Borg shoot? And it's like, well, apparently they do now. And so it seemed, I don't know, but maybe... Terry Metalis has referenced Star Trek video games before. It wouldn't surprise me if that might have been a throwback to to Elite Force One because that game was kind of Dude, a big deal when it came out. And all know? of that is all of that is cool, right? But like, <clears throat> it's like when you, when I'm watching something as a viewer, if two people are fighting, right? If they're locked in like a mortal battle, and I have no idea what the capabilities of one of those parties is. Then, like for me as a viewer, I don't understand how I'm supposed to feel the tension sure. in that situation, yeah. right? When somebody can sure. just bust that, and I hate to be like in this, like you guys know me, like I kind of do enjoy like crap talking episodes that I don't like, but not to people who enjoyed them, right? Like I don't want to yuck anybody's yum here, but I just like I, I tried watching the episode again, like in preparation for this, and I was just like, the more I watch it, the less I get it. You know what I mean? Like I just don't, <laughs> I don't get how I was even supposed to feel. Uh, so, you know, uh, oh, whether fine. the board are extinct I, I, or not is sort of like for me, you know, eh, either way works. I don't think you can sink the enthusiasm of this distinguished group of people. I would be very surprised if that was plus, plus you're participating in good faith. So you're already a step above most people who most panelists we have on this show just in it for discovery debrief i think tries to aim a little higher when it comes to the tenor of conversation uh but you guys know that you're a part of it right you should have told me that before i appeared on all these episodes with you. <laughs> all right well I can't shit talk what i'm kidding go ahead <laughs> no shit shit talk away it's fine so let's uh, 
uh, oh Cicero, I'm sorry, I didn't go to you. Um, uh, yes, it's it's quite all right. Uh, I'm only here for the doublooms. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I'm 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 actually gonna be uh, I'm gonna be a little contrarian here from the rest of the panel and say that I think this is the end for the Borg, um, because th- as as Zaki pointed out, right, the Borg are like Joker. And you can't kill Joker unless you kill Batman. And and yeah. the Borg's the Borg's Batman is Picard, mm-hmm. as we've established in this show. And if Picard is off the board, then why should the Borg be on the board still? Not to say that they can't be brought back, but what would be the point of bringing back the Joker if Batman is dead? So you're not buying um, you my know, super so, hot take that the last generation referred to the Borg. Right, right, right. Uh well it it could be, right, that they're the last generation was the Borg, and now that generation is over. Um, you know, I I don't think that there you will play with the Borg and Seven in this in Star Trek Legacy or whatever that show mm. happens to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they were going to do that, then they should have played with Seven and her obvious Borg connection um, with the Borg, since she still physically has implants on her body. Um, And none of that was mentioned or even thought about, with the exception of her grabbing her head because she felt the presence of, of the Borg and and maybe the Borg Queen, at least the collective, in episode nine. But in episode ten, there was no she had, you know, no Borg traces, no no traces of of ever being invited to the Borg cookout. Um and now, you know, and now she here she is sitting out on, on the sidelines. So I don't believe that she that they will bring her bring them back as a way to uh, to really deal with her going forward. So I don't see a reason to bring the Borg back. Uh, but if I, if, I, if I may real quick, to Zaki's point, they will reconfigure this. So like in that Voyager episode I referenced, Chakotay and that ex-Borg drone, they had a little, 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 yeah, little yeah, heat, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Now we yeah. have a whole bunch of like thousands of 25 and younger horny Starfleet officers of multiple species who can all like kind of residual connectivity and i think they should open the next show with a you know a new starfleet ah oh, you know oh. a little open a little yeah. freer right drop your key cards in this bowl <laughs> yeah it's like the, 19, it's like the 1960s baby. <laughs> right right oh, God. we found new leads for the mycelium network everybody come, right, come aboard right. come aboard Dude, oh. you have a way more optimistic take on the toll of this, uh, the events of this season. Like they need to start hiring like thousands yeah. of counselors, counselors. Yeah. because like you thought Picard was guilty. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, they seem to remember what they did, right? Like Sydney's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And it's like, so you have like most of Starfleet that has a memory of killing their commanding officers and then shooting at <laughs> yeah. space dock for 20 minutes. Well, like, yeah, exactly. That's bad. They no, got no, plenty of counselors. It's fine. That's I'm what saying. I was thinking when it was happening. When they came out of it, I was like, oh my God, the trauma. You know? Right. Yeah. Can, but I'm future sure writers can play with that, though. 
look, we we got Shaw revisiting his trauma from Wolf Three Five Nine. Who's to say that we're gonna we're not gonna see something like that paid off? Even if it's not for a long time, it could totally happen. It could totally happen, and I'm sure that it will at some point. You know, whether whether it's uh, Star Trek Legacy or beyond, who knows? But they'll, um, they'll still blame Jack Picard or Jack Crusher. Maybe he will be Jack it, Picard. Jack Luck Pickard. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yes. We'll find out. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move along with the plot. So we're getting kind of down to it here. Uh, one year later, the crew reminisce over drinks in a game of poker, having been pardoned for their actions. On Captain Shaw's posthumous recommendation, Captain Tuvok promotes Seven to Captain of the Titan, which is later rechristened the USS Enterprise G with Raffi as her first officer and Jack now a Starfleet ensign as the captain's special counselor. We leave the former command crew of the Enterprise D much the same way we did at the end of their own series, laughing together over a game of poker. Um, so the first thing that I want to touch on is the component of, of legacy. Captain Seven is the successor captain of the Starship Enterprise. Uh, break it down for me. How does this moment of vindication add up for seven and how how do you guys feel about her now continuing the storied legacy of the uss enterprise uh zaki i you know i didn't mind it i thought i thought you know it seemed it seemed like an appropriate uh summation of her journey during this season i i do feel like seven during the series in total like i don't think this is a culmination of her journey throughout the series because it feels like they were kind of trying to figure out what to do with her she's like a pirate here she's doing this that and the other thing uh and i don't know how much it's really a culmination of her journey on voyager either because uh yeah i'm not saying this like a bad thing i'm just like in terms of what was happening this season that's fine you know like i if it had if she was not the captain of the enterprise i guess i would have been fine with that too you know it it does it didn't feel like yes she got it like it, you know what i mean it was like oh, all right cool you know mm-hmm. uh, and, and actually if i can add just one thing um i like that we get an enterprise g i don't know that we needed it to be a rechristened titan like i don't know i'm kind of like well no i mean the tight like let the that be its cool. own ship yeah right like i like i don't i don't know how it added anything to be like Oh, it was the Titan, but now, like, why not just be like, yeah, no, it's a brand new, it's a new, it's another ship. It's the new Constitution, it's the Enterprise G. Like, I, I don't know why that really mattered, and I don't know that it really added anything to it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, well, I have I have things to say about that. But before then, uh, Cicero, as someone who went recently on the journey of Voyager overall, and you've seen seven sort of pinball between different specialties over the course of the run of Picard. She is now captain of the USS enterprise. What do you make of it? I love the fact that she is a captain. I don't know that I love the fact that she is a captain of the enterprise. Um, If they were going to rechristen that ship, it would have been, it would have it would have felt better to me if they rechristened rechristened it Voyager. Hmm. Um huh. and and you know allowed her to be the captain of the Voyager. 
I didn't understand why she needed to be the captain of the Enterprise outside of the fact that we were on Picard. Um, if, in fact, I kind of forgot that that uh, the Enterprise E was destroyed, right? <laughs> like, well, we think um, we don't really right, know. right, right, right. So, like, you know, I mean, I assume that's the case because we got an Enterprise G. Yeah, but you know, it would have made it would have been just as easy and and apropos uh, if we had gotten uh, well, oh, uh, Enterprise F. Enterprise E was destroyed. We had an Enterprise F. The yeah. Enterprise F was destroyed. Retired. Frontier Dan. Yeah. Was it destroyed? But, it was retired. What? It was decommissioned. The De- Enterprise decommissioned. F? Yes. Yeah, it's decommissioned. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, well, regardless. Yeah. It should have been a Voyager. The huh? other thing is, the other thing is, uh, isn't there a conflict of interest with Captain Seven's first officer yes. being her her Spouse? Yes. I have, Not anymore. I have that in my notes. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Okay. Starfleet uh, Command watched the Orville and they were like, hey, that's, uh, that's a way <laughs> right. to do it. <laughs> it's all, it's all I- I- in canon. That's uh, right. the Orville yeah. exists in Starfleet's future. That's, <laughs> there you go. No, the, the Orville is what the is is what the Starfleet officers watch. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's their favorite show <laughs> is the Orville. Um, yeah, uh, that's yeah. That's a, it's a rough one. That's that's a rough one for me. Is like how how they allow that one, but right. you know whatever. Hand wavy. <laughs> Ty uh, seven as the captain of the Enterprise G. I'm still hung up on imagining the Orville as like the show that they watch because like for them it would just be like a normal like that's like a family sitcom. Just that's just like normal yeah. stuff going on, yeah. but it's like kind of zany, right. right? It's the like, office <laughs> for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Movie night on the NXO one, right? Exactly. <laughs> um well uh I I don't know or care about all this ship name alphabet business. Uh even even Picard was as confused as I was, but and, and as you maybe were by the Titan being the new enterprise. Like whatever. I don't care about any of that stuff. Uh but so the thing I thought was crazy was like Tuvok is like, Hey seven, I've got news for you. And seven is like, uh, I know I'm just not Starfleet. I guess I'm going to resign because I just like played this totally instrumental role in being like the captain of the one ship that wasn't under fleet command. and was going around like harassing all these other ships that were blowing up space. Dot. Like, but I guess I'm just not Starfleet material. Cause like this captain that ended up recanting and giving me his ship, like kind of made me feel bad in the past. Like it just felt so like absurd of a thing for the character that I watched develop this relationship with captain Janeway and develop her understanding of like humanity, right. To be like, Oh, but this man made me feel bad about myself. So like, I guess I'm just going to throw in the towel on my whole like life's in depth. You know what I mean? Like, I I just thought that was like a really bizarre like it felt like just we want this story beat, and so we're gonna make it happen, r- whether it makes sense for that uh, character or not. Um, you know, bold choice to make this sh- this new. Like, I-, I assume it's still their flagship, right? Like, good question. Run by all these all yeah. these formerly assimilated folks, but I guess pretty much everybody is formerly assimilated at this point, so you don't yeah. have much of a choice. Uh, but you know, I like I think they have been trying since the first season of Picard to like I don't really know why, but like to establish Seven as like this adjunct 
bridge crew member of the TNG crew. Like, like she's somehow the successor to Picard in some maybe Borg through line kind of way. And so like to Zaki's point, this didn't feel like the culmination of seven's arc in even this. It felt like the culmination of like what they were trying to insert seven as to me, uh, like they, they just kept like throughout this series being like, Seven is connected to Picard. Like she's the younger version of like, you know, experiencing some of these things that he's experienced. And it's just like, they're really trying to shoehorn her into like his footsteps in a way. And like, eh, it's fine, but I didn't really super get it, but whatever. Well, I, I, I thought that was the case, at least uh, when they introduced her in season one, because of the fact that they had both been assimilated, right? Like this is the, the one person in the in the universe mm-hmm. yeah that that or the one person in the galaxy that can can speak authoritatively about this experience that Picard had gone through and that they could bond through that and that that would be a through line as long as they're using the, Dude, the board yes there's this that, super that seven would 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 involve herself with Yes, throughout all of the series, and and that did not that didn't happen. There's like a super low hanging fruit that was there for the taking of like, hey, Picard's like experience. Like they tried to use his experience with the Borg as a liability, but he turned it to his advantage and used it as leverage against them. Right, and so he turned his unique experience into an advantage. Like there was a through line there that they could have made explicit, but instead they totally dropped the fact that Seven had even ever been assimilated from. Discussion in there this were a couple season of moments in season one where they shared some common yes. experience. Yes, it wasn't. Right, it yes, wasn't, season, any, it wasn't mean, nearly as substantive as it probably should have been. Yeah. But there were a couple of moments that they did share between right. each other where you get, did get to see a degree of commonality in their their shared experiences. Like, how do you sleep? You know, like do you, no, that's what I mean. Yeah. That commonality was there at the beginning yeah, of the right. show, and then they sort of stopped talking about it at the end. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it was I like, think, I just keep talking about it, and it would have made more yeah. sense. <laughs> right. Uh, Kyle, Seven as the captain of the Enterprise G? Um, it's the whole time I've been watching this season, I have been very energetically imagining what quote-unquote Star Trek legacy uh, would have been like. Because while we're not dealing with into the universe stuff, I want to go on a ship and explore space, like they say in the title, Star Trek. Um. I, in the whole time I was excited about Shaw and Seven's dynamic and the LaForge and LaForge is a helmsman and these characters we have, they're also floating around the mix that aren't established characters. And I love Seven in this season. I don't recognize Seven in season one or two of Picard. I feel like season three is where you pick up from where we left off. And this moment she shares with Jack uh, while at the Fleet Museum talking about, I, I'm just looking for a family again. Like she got mm-hmm. assimilated by the Borg. She had a forced family and she got bounced out and then Voyager like raised her, so to speak. And I thought she was such a great character on Voyager that I, and I recognized her in season three of Picard. I thought, okay, this is a really great arc. You know, after Voyager went away, that crew scattered and like, of course she's sort of looking for that hook. And like, I, I that's the moment when that conversation with Jack, when I thought, okay, I love what's happening with Seven, and I'd love to mm-hmm. see that continue. In Star Trek Legacy, primarily, I am, like you, Zaki, surprised that they named the Titan the Enterprise. It's 
it's a very storied name. They should have given it to a much fatter goose, like the like the F, which was a very fat goose. Um, she is. She was. A, she was. Oh, she, she came out of the space dock. I was like, "Whoa, donuts, lady, donut." You know, <laughs> chill out. Um, but I really thought that I thought that Shaw would stick around. I didn't expect him to die. I, I still feel a little weird about that. Like that was sort of shoehorned in there because I, what I want out of Star, Star Trek Legacy is Seven and Shaw coming to terms over a couple of seasons with the, with each other. That would have been a great dynamic. As captain, I think they they fast forward a little bit, but I'm still curious. Like, it's the Enterprise. You're going to give it to some some guy, some wacko with crazy hair who saved the universe 30 times. But they gave it to Seven. That's an interesting choice. I'm I'm all in on the interesting choice. They should fire Rafi, though. I'm sorry, Cicero. <laughs> I know you love her, but like, that's got to be awkward. The staff meetings alone, man. Right. <laughs> Rachel Seven is captain of the Enterprise. So they disrespected the Titan by reading out. Bam! They did. (laughs) They did. Like the Titan was cool. Just build another Enterprise. Like, why would you do that to the Titan? All right. I was a little offended. The Titan earned her name. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Um, I mean, and there's no story reason to give it uh, to, to rename it. You know. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. Continue. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, they just i I think it'd be cool, like just as cool for Seven to be the captain of the Titan as the Enterprise, and just as significant that she gets to be a Titan or a captain. She gets to be a Titan. Um, Yeah, I mean, other than that, I like. Yeah, it seems it seems cool. I don't. I just wasn't, I wasn't super emotionally invested in Seven becoming a captain. Um, I'm, you know, it's cool to see, but I kind of feel like it's something where it's more like, oh, I, you know, it'd be cool if they go somewhere with it. I'd like to maybe see her adventures. Um, Mm -hmm. I also agree that (laughs) there seems to be some HR violations (laughs) with the However, I'd really like to see that show. Like, it's these cool lesbians flying around in space. space. They they made that show. It's called Xena Warrior Princess. I want it to be a cartoon. I want it to be off the rails. I want them to develop superpowers partway through. Like, yeah, that's the version I want. Uh, Space lesbians. I want the shuttlecraft to be a Subaru. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, um yeah, it just like uh I think it would be it would be a cool show with them just sort of flying around and, and being cool. Um but yeah, I I just like I I I can't say that I I was like I feel vindicated that this has happened. It just, I was like, good, this has happened. All right. I'm satisfied, and, uh, okay. but I'm satisfied. And I really loved the, um, the poker game with our. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Oh, we'll get to hold that. on. Chris has some ship thoughts that he wants to get out. I can tell. Yeah. Here is, here is the oh. thing that <laughs> I feel is lost among other fans who do not have the reverence for the original series that I do. 
Okay. When it comes to seven as a character in the franchise as now a storied legacy character in the franchise, considering the things that not only she has gone through as a character, but I think it's pretty safe to say that most Star Trek performers are inextricably tied to their characters. So this is not only the culmination of seven of nine's legacy over the course of her existence in the franchise. This is Jerry Ryan's culmination of her experience with the franchise, which has gone from a really rocky place during the depths of the production of Voyager through what sounds like a far more rewarding professional experience on the set of Picard. But also at the same time, if we're going to talk about legitimizing you just, someone, you just who, pull up, you picked up a starship model. Is that what the you model. Did? This means a lot. NCC-1701, the USS Enterprise. I understand the, let's say, disinclination to rename the Titan. And to some degree, I I don't want to sound like I don't totally, or that I don't agree with you, at least in some respects. The Titan is a smaller ship, you know, physically in comparison. It's probably less impressive that certainly than the Odyssey class Enterprise F is and that we've seen from the Sovereign class and the Galaxy class. But at the same time, too, we've just gone on a journey with the Titan that has uh, legitimized its own place within the the Star Trek ethos, within the, the legacy of Starfleet as we've now come to understand it. So when you take that this is very much, you know, the same kind of a culmination that we saw in Star Trek Four, where another ship was renamed Enterprise and given a little letter at the end of it. Um, but beyond all of that, this to me feels like an appropriate graduation and acknowledgement of both Seven's journey and Jerry Ryan's contributions to Star Trek to say, you're the captain of the Enterprise. The captain of the Enterprise, regardless of what anybody says, is the standard bearer of Star Trek. You know, you might be more of a Voyager person, you might be more of a DS9 person, but the truth of the matter is that if you're captain of the Enterprise, then you are the flagship of the Star Trek franchise. And I don't see any performer more deserving, and I certainly don't see any other viable character to have that position outside of seven of nine. So what about, uh, what about uh, Anson Mount and captain Christopher Pike? Well, captain Christopher Pike is clearly one of the best current iterations of star Trek, but that's also, you know, in the 23rd century, if we're talking about creating new material with a new enterprise, with a new captain going forward, creating new adventures where we actually go on the journey week in and week out, with a new version of the USS Enterprise. I think it's seven and I think it's the Enterprise G. Now, I don't think it would be amiss if there was another physical ship, but at the same time, I can't argue with the idea that, hey, you just went on this journey with this ship uh, that did give a lot of good credence to its name, but it gave so much credence to its name that we're going to assign it the most important name that we can to it. And that is enterprise, regardless of what, it, 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 regardless of you, what anybody says. Do you whip that it, out in public? 
regardless of I, what I, I sure as hell do. I sure <laughs> every chance I get. This thing is blue uh, tonight my phone. I could title, call each one of you on it right now and talk on my communicator. No, he doesn't. Title, doesn't. title of this it's, uh, anyway. podcast. Yeah, there you go. I get what you're saying, and to some extent, I agree with it, at least when it comes to the physical uh, uh, orientation of the of the ship itself. But Seven of Nine as Captain of the Enterprise sounds about right to me, if we're looking at what the next chapter is going to be for this franchise. If we want it to be tied to something else, if we want it to feel like a legacy that is moving forward, as the rumored title of the show suggests... Seven of nine is captain of the enterprise. Sounds pretty damn good. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. I didn't expect that these feelings would be bubbling up hearing all of you talk, but I just, I had to get it off my chest. Now it's just my feelings. Of course, doesn't mean anything except to me, but it means everything. It was when I said I <laughs> didn't care everything. about the ship letters, wasn't it? That was what did it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I care about the ship letters. I do. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I. I don't begrudge anyone who doesn't, though. Like, I get it. You. You are normal in that you don't care about. It's like a red it's like you went out. to war with your horse and you bonded so much and he did such a great job that you renamed your horse when you got home. Or you yeah. went on an entire journey in Red Dead Redemption Two only to watch your horse die and you're blubbering over the controller as Arthur is cradling him, just going, "Thank you." Spoilers. Yeah. You'll get a new roach. (laughs) I've been there. Um, Well, snowball three. Final part of the uh, well. So the poker game. We should talk about the. uh, Obviously, you know, Jack also receives a visit from Q. That's the post-credit scene. Seems to tee up uh, Star Trek Legacy, the purported sequel series. Um, That's probably a conversation for another time to round out this discussion. Is there a more appropriate way to finally say goodbye? Than with the whole crew alive and together playing a game of poker, Zachy, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I I think uh, that's really what it came down to for me is that that was what I wanted. That was the ending I wanted. You know, I um, I've said for more than twenty years, you know, that uh, the 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 TNG movies, I don't mind them. You know, some are better than others, but if we had never gotten them and the last shot we ever got of the TNG crew was them playing poker, I would have been just fine with that. And they had the same thought, you know, and, and I read an interview uh, with the, that Terry Mattel's gave to variety. I think it was earlier, it's earlier today. And he was talking about how for him, he wanted, he wanted this to be the ending we never got for the next generation. And he wanted to, uh, put all the toys back in the chest. He's like, I don't want the Enterprise to be crashed. I want it to be in a museum. I don't want Data to be dead. I want it to be to have achieved his wish. I don't want anybody in the crew to be dead. I want them together, happy, and a family. And I'm like, yeah, that you know that that's that's what I wanted, uh, and I got that. And so all of the it's funny because just listening to all the the ups and downs as far as the plot, like I get that on a on a structural level, but like for me. On an emotional level, I can I can look past a lot of that stuff because to, to me personally, the emotional beats all work, and I got an ending that felt fulfilling and felt like for me a culmination of you know my love for these characters since since I was just a, a little wee one, you know, and and I think that that's and, and it just if I can just sorry make a make a brief tangent, I feel like. 
so many of these recent legacy sequels have looked at what the star wars sequels did and have been like well we don't want to do that like (laughs) we want to make we want them sitting at the conference table we want to make sure we get that scene you know (laughs) like and i'm I'm somebody who likes the star wars sequels but like it feels like that this was a response to that to some extent like no we want to we want uh the fan service because that's what people want so that's my thought yeah, well said. Absolutely. Uh, Cicero, all good things resurgent. What did you make of it? Uh, yeah, this this end scene was great. Um, I think uh, everything... Zachy, I love you. Zachy, I miss you. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things that I miss about Zachy is, is something that I alluded to before, because Zachy said the things that I just didn't have the ability to to truly articulate. And that is that going into the season, the things that I wanted was I wanted the crew to get back together. I wanted to see them at the conference table, like Kyle. I wanted to see them all on the bridge, like, like Chris. And I wanted to see them all play poker like Zachy. And and I got to see all of those things and I loved all of those things and I loved all of those people coming together, but I didn't like the story. And I'm sitting back and I'm thinking about when I, when I reflect on this season, am I going to feel positively about it or am I going to feel negatively about it? And I think ultimately I'm going to feel positively about it because the the big picture of seeing all of those people together again, doing the things that I wanted to see them do uh, again in the places that I wanted to see them do them again was greater than the reasons that they got together to do all of those things. Um, Because, the reason that they got together to do all those things was kind of muddied and, and not particularly great. But the fact that they did them all together um, and I got to witness that was was spectacular. And it really made me feel good. Um, and, and so that's probably what I'm going to take away from it. The other thing that I'm going to take away from this episode specifically is the fact that it was probably 15 minutes or so longer than the other episodes. And I think a lot of that had to do with them adding the John Hughes moments at the end in the epilogue for the backdoor pilot, mm-hmm. you know, or the backdoor beginnings of Star Trek Legacy, which is something that they didn't necessarily anticipate. Uh, going, you know, going into the the end of the season. So that was that was interesting to see. Excellent, Rachel. Ending on a poker game. Yeah, um, I think that Zachy and Cicero really said it well. <laughs> Is that um, I agree that I liked I liked the ending of all good things. Um, and I had said for years that I wished that was the ending and not Nemesis. <laughs> and so now we kind of got that, you know, everything wrapped up again 
in them just all together and happy and playing poker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also agree with Cicero in that I think well, when I look back in the breadth and totality of this season, I rem- really, I think I'm going to think of it as by far the best season of Picard. Um, and as what I think what we really wanted Picard to be all along which was just nostalgia. <laughs> like, I think I think that's what we wanted. Um, and they gave it to us. And mm-hmm. so I, I enjoyed it. There were things throughout the season that I thought were silly or maybe I didn't like as much. But I think with time, the, you know, those complaints are going to fade. And I'm just going to remember that I, you know, I cried like a little baby when they went <laughs> uh, they went back on the Enterprise D. So mm-hmm. good good job, Terry Metallis. <laughs> uh, Ty, how did the uh, the very end with the with the crew strike you? Yeah, I mean it couldn't have ended any other way, right? Like uh, I, and I don't have a lot to add other than I will just say there is something really beautiful about uh just seeing adults who are friends and who have this warmth and easiness with one another and who just like don't have anything they'd rather be doing than spending time with each other and enjoying each other's company and um as the camera is kind of pulling out and and fading to the credits like you just get this um yeah this easiness and this warmth and, and it almost feels like the the characters are bleeding through or or the actors are bleeding through to the characters right and the camaraderie among them um is just really kind of like oozing through the scene um and that really to me got at like why I watch Star Trek which is for um basically for the warm fuzzies um and so I really liked that after a season that was really a lot about like trying to make me sort of like grip uh, the handles in my seat um, in anticipation uh, to end in that moment of like just really being able to step back and experience that warmth uh, between this cast that we've just like spent so much time with over, over these decades at this point. Uh, Yeah. was awesome. Excellent. Great. Kyle, the last word on the last generation. Uh, I'm, probably more mixed on it than you guys are like Cicero. I wish some of these elements had either the taken more time to story tell or had been in a better story or something like that. I feel like uh, the longer I separate myself from having watched it, the, the more sour I get on this still better than everything else has happened in Picard seasons one and seasons two, no offense to those guys. Um, the image of them playing poker at the end is nice. It has worked before. It can't top that TNG finale, but it, it, it is where we want to see these characters end up, but I'm not a guy who suffers a sacred. Like I, the nemesis ending was perfectly fine for me. You know, I, I didn't necessarily need to see these guys again, uh, but it was a nice image. I had one quibble with that poker scene. I feel like I was trapped in an elevator with some strangers for three or four minutes. Cause like they wouldn't turn the camera off. They just kept circling above the table and then circling above the table. And then they, and then they went back into the table. And I'm just like, I, I feel like I've overstayed my welcome. You know, <laughs> these guys need to 
fade to black and let's see some credits. And I don't know. Mixed feelings is my final word. Well, Terry Metalis said that uh, it was actually just them playing poker themselves and he ran the camera for 45 minutes. Yeah, they shot 45 minutes of this stuff, which I, you know, as a showrunner, kudos, sir, plus 100 points. The way they played with the, the, the universe and brought in all these different story elements, you know, on the surface, it was very promising. His actual direction of this episode, I was a little disappointed. Hmm. 45 right. minutes. What are they going to do with all that footage? Is it going to be on so a DVD wait, extra? Yeah. That sure. part where they were playing like Andorian seven card wild or whatever was just like the cast, like playing, playing games that they all know. Like maybe. Yeah. I yep. I mean, yeah, I, I was like this part at the end where they're talking about crazy, like, you know, like in universe right. alien card games that don't really <laughs> exist, but guess that one didn't land. I did. Well, like, I did like the Q right. thing though, because like, I think Metallus and his people uh, have a lot of promise. I want to see what they will do if they're not so laden with having a send-off movie, right? Mm. I want to see them go someplace new. And like the whole Q thing, like I really liked it. I thought, oh, promise of the next week's episode. I want to be there for that. I feel good about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Also, we don't know Seven's Go Command. I don't want to know Seven's Go Command. I hate that joke. They did that oh, on okay. uh, Discovery, and they did that on Lower Decks. Did you see this the the new trailer for Strange New World? Yeah, Strange New World, also, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, guys, I would like the to go now. I kind of, <laughs> I, I kind of like that. You don't I need to catch for I, I don't like how that's like a in universe thing. Yeah. Like, oh, right, you have right. to have a thing. Like, no, like Picard says, engage, and that's just his thing. Like, it's, I, you know what I mean? Like. I like that yeah, we as fans are like, oh, that, that's their thing. But when you have the right. characters, we're like, what's your saying going to be? Like, eh, like I'm yeah, right, come on. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't <laughs> beat Lorca's, is just the truth. Go. Well, Lorca's. Hit it. Oh, Lorca's was go. go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Like, to the point. Right. Where is Prime well, Lorca? Where is he? <laughs> they still need to find him banging the drum. Well, um,. <laughs> I'm going to forego pedantic continuity time for this episode just because I was a little disappointed in the things that Memory Alpha picked out for this episode, and I don't want to give them air because they're wow. 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 <laughs> super basic. They're super oh, they've basic. Been wow. this. <laughs> and I'm just I'm shocked and appalled. Oh Do God. better, editors of Memory Alpha. you got to plunge the de- – when I go to Memory Alpha – I want to learn shit that I've never known before. True story. All right? mm. Didn't get any of that from this, so I don't think it's worth repeating. Can I just say say one, uh. one thing that I I really appreciated, as you guys know, I'm a big uh, Enterprise booster, as in uh, Star Trek Enterprise, and I love that Frontier Day is yeah. the, celebrates the launch of the NX-01. Yeah. yeah. And so after after I watched it with my kids, I put on uh, Broken Bow. I was like, let's watch uh, uh, the first Frontier Day, you know? There oh my go. god! Yeah. <laughs> that, that's something this season did really well. It was like first contact, where they sort of pulled in all these elements from the universe yeah, to help tell I the agree. story. Yeah, totally I'm agree. still waiting on a President Archer Star Trek West Wing. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I want I want Scott Bakula to show up on Strange New Worlds. There's no reason they can't do that. You can no. have him aged up. They've established that he's alive in the alternate universe into Kirk's time. That's true. Make that happen, Paramount. Yeah. 
make it happen. I was Flox was supposed to show up, and Billingsley said no, apparently. But they they asked uh, Robert Beltran to be in season three of Picard too, and I think that's how we got Tim Russ. Hmm. No, no, it was season two. They wanted him in season two oh. as Seven's husband in the alternate timeline. Oh, and, uh, he was like, screw that. So, yeah. yeah, he's got good yeah. instincts sometimes when he's not angry. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but he's doing he's doing solid work on Prodigy. We're getting some good content. Yeah, Prodigy's so. carrying us through. Yeah, 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 most definitely. Well, much thanks again to our panel, Zachy. It's wonderful to have you back. Thank thanks you so for- much. Uh, so, so I, I feel like I'm Q. You know, I just pop in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say something quite as witty, but you know, you have to pick well, a different letter, have- sir. Well, you're going to have to join us um, when Ty is finished watching DS9. We're going to have a, a DS9 debrief. So you do have to, to join us for that. And Kyle's going to have to join us for that as well. Um, Kyle, any updates that you'd like to share or just trexpertise.com? One day I'll make another video. <laughs> <laughs> i'm so busy man but yeah trexpertise.com of course sounds good well we really appreciate you uh you know joining us again a quick programming note before we conclude here we're probably going to take a little bit of a break from weekly episode uh recordings ahead of the second season of strange new worlds but we do have a couple things we plan on bringing you including both a full season review of picard season three with some friends of the show as well as our actual episode review of the first season finale of Strange New World, since we left that one outstanding for our panel, and that is still something that I certainly want to talk about. I want to make sure that everybody has seen TOS's Balance of Terror before we actually convene to discuss the the season finale of Strange New Worlds ahead of the uh, premiere of season two. Um, but just stay tuned, you know, and if there's anything else Star Trek related that you want to talk to us about, then get in touch with us. But right. as uh, also oh, yeah. Prodigy. Prodigy. Also Prodigy. season one recap of Prodigy. We we owe You're right. We owe the debrief listeners. Yeah. Let's add that one to the board as well. It's, I think uh, I think that show deserves it, most definitely. But as for this very moment, that is going to do it for episode number 94 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute. And let us know if you wrote one. And we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss another adventure in the fabled legacy of the name Enterprise. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. Ha, ha, ha.